0: It's time once again for another episode of All That's Jazz, the podcast that explores everything in the world of jazz. And here now is your host, Alan Scott. Hello and welcome to another episode of All That's Jazz. Today our topic of conversation is the National Museum of African American Music. Our very special guest is Dr. Stephen Lewis, he is a curator at the museum, and we have the privilege of having him as our guest today. Dr. Lewis, thank you for joining us here on All That's
1: Jazz. Thanks for having me, uh, very excited to be here.
0: We're very excited to talk about this because it's, I think, a museum that is, in many respects, a long time coming. And so on, on that note, let me, let me just ask you, why did it take this long, do you suppose, to reach the year 2021 to finally see this a reality?
1: Well, you know, I I can say that, you know, to your point, here in the city of Nashville, it's been 22 years of work. It's been a labor of love. And things like this project take time to build momentum. The fundraising process alone is time consuming. And then, of course, you have several years for collecting artifacts like we've done. You know, that was a process that took more than five years in itself. Um, and, And, you know, I think that that I certainly agree that this is a story whose time is really long overdue, uh, and it's certainly a privilege to get to tell it. I think one thing uh one other factor is the 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 technological needs to really present the story of music um in an engaging way. You need to have high tech features, things like you know being able to have music. And interactive displays in your museum, you know, like you can't have a music museum without having music playing. And so it's sort of The passage of time has given us access to technology that has really enhanced the visitor experience, I would say. And that's another factor. So I think that a museum like this could not have been realized in this way, um, without the most cutting edge kind of uh, media components as well.
0: One of the most surprising elements, and I, I'm sure you get the question all the time. And I know that that has been on the minds of many people before as uh, the thing about why Nashville. But when you think about it, it it's to me, I, I, as I, I spoke with you earlier before we started our session today, that it, it's kind of the surprising, wonderful aspect of what it's all about and in, in terms of where it is, I mean, it's literally downtown, and then it's right across the street from Ryman Auditorium, which is the, the holy shrine of country music.
1: That's right. That's right. And, I mean, one aspect of, of, of the city that is often overlooked is the richness of the African-American musical heritage here. I mean, you know, so so the thing that we hear about is usually... The history of country music which in itself also has a very important african-american component to it um, but if you look at the history of nashville overall you have the importance of groups like the fist jubilee singers who um beginning in the 1870s um, really you know exposed the whole world to the power of african-american folk music through their performance of the spirituals especially in europe you also have you have jazz musicians like lil hart and armstrong jimmy blanton paul Quinochet who were trained here at schools like Fisk University and Tennessee State University. And then, of course, once you get into the 1960s and 70s, um, you have this really thriving uh, and wonderful nightlife district uh, on Jefferson Street, which is in the middle of the historically African-American community here. And so in the nightclubs on Jefferson Street, you had people ranging from Ray Charles to Little Richard. Um, of course, Jimi Hendrix uh, had his early career here in Nashville because he was stationed at Fort Campbell. And so he, he played in several groups that were active up and down Jefferson Street, um, both as a, as a featured artist and as kind of a backup musician for other artists. So there's, there's a lot of music that has been made here that is relevant to our mission. Um, And then also in a broader sense, the state of Tennessee has kind of been a crossroads for a lot of American music. You know, you have the blues, you have country music, uh, you've had important hip hop acts who have come out of Tennessee. And so in a lot of ways, uh, you know, not only are we in the middle of everything as far as being in the downtown tourist district, we're also kind of in the middle of everything as far as just our place in the country and kind of the state's role in the development of all this great music.
0: It's interesting because when you think of African-American music, you would have thought that it would be someplace like Detroit or Memphis. But uh, at the same time, I, I think one, in doing some research about the development uh, of this museum, it's, it's something that was embraced by the city of Nashville So that was another compelling reason to have it there. And these other cities didn't do anything prior to this development of the museum in Nashville.
1: Right, right. Well, and and to that point, one thing about the city is that up until this point, there had not been a major institution that was devoted to African-American history and culture, which is, is really surprising given that Nashville has played such an important role in black history and in particular uh, because of its importance in the civil rights movement. So you have people like John Lewis who were educated here, people like James Lawson, one of the fathers of nonviolent activism, uh, was educated here at Vanderbilt University. You have the Nashville student movement that was so prominent. And so for all of that black history, there was not uh, an institution uh, of of a really really high visibility that was celebrating African-American culture. That's one of the reasons why the city was so excited when the idea um, was proposed to have a, a museum of African American music. Uh, not to mention that having a museum dedicated to black music really builds upon the reputation the city already has as music city, you know, and a, a place where people can come to celebrate music, learn about music at places like the Country Music Hall of Fame. And so we're we're really building on and kind of completing that image as Music City, while at the same time, uh, honoring some of the Black history that has occurred here over the years.
0: But I believe in the original stages or or the mindset of the development of this museum uh, 20 plus years ago, it it was one that was, uh, the role changed through the period of development. It went from an all-encompassing African-American museum to African-American music. Yes. What changed that mindset?
1: Well, it was it was a gradual, it was a gradual process of kind of focusing, because you're right. Initially, this was going to be the Museum of African American History, Art and Culture was the, was the working title. Um, and over the years it became obvious to, in particular to our CEO and president, Henry Hicks, that the the excitement was really around the music component. And of course, that dovetailed really neatly with the the city tourism influence or or kind of emphasis on music. And the fact that there had not been a museum that kind of told the story of African American music in a really comprehensive way. Right Around the country, you have museums that are devoted to um, individual African American music traditions. Of course, you have museums like the American Jazz Museum in Kansas City. You have the Motown Museum in Detroit you have another, you have the New Orleans Jazz Museum in, in uh, Louisiana, um, but there was not a museum that told the story of the development of the music as a whole and tied that development back into uh, African-American history more generally. And so there was both uh, a need for a Black museum here in the city, and there was an opportunity to tell a story that hadn't been told before. And so we, we got to do both.
0: And through the development of where it is now today to the Museum of African-American Music, it's all-encompassing in terms of that genre of music. In many ways, it's not just jazz because we are a jazz podcast, and that's not the only reason why we reached out to you. Plus, you as a curator, I mean, you studied uh, jazz uh, at Florida State University and then went on and uh, received your M.A. and Ph.D., uh, in critical, I think, and comparative studies in music, yep. uh, which is a little more broad and not just focused on jazz itself.
1: Exactly, exactly. It, it more of a a kind of, uh, you know, looking at music through a critical lens as a historian and critic was really the the focus of that program, um, even though my research interest was still jazz-based. You know, so while I was there, I, I was studying I ended up writing my dissertation on uh, jazz in the '80s and '90s, uh, in particular the work of Wynton Marsalis, uh, working with uh, Scott Devoe, who's a great jazz historian. But you know, while I was there, I had the opportunity to work on all different time, types of music. And the museum itself, uh, in a similar way, is is not dedicated to any one genre. It's it's like you said, it's all encompassing. Uh, you know, we have galleries devoted to, of course, jazz, but also to religious music. Including spirituals and gospel, we have a gallery devoted to the blues, one to rhythm and blues, and then one to hip hop. And then on top of that, we have uh, what we call the feature gallery, where we can have temporary exhibitions on any topic we'd like, you know. And so some of the ideas we've discussed um, are things like, you know, African Americans and country music, or you know, uh, exhibits devoted to particular musicians maybe that we could develop in collaboration with those musicians' uh, estates or families. You know, it's, it's really a very, it's the broadest possible approach and, and the point of that is to emphasize that um, jazz and blues and hip hop and, and, and gospel music and all these other traditions share a common uh, origin within the African American experience and, and within American culture.
0: You know what's interesting is that during this past month of February my wife and I spent a lot of time devoting uh, our viewing habits to focusing in on Black History Month which was for the month of February and in that uh, we we watched a number of things that covered everything from the development of Stax Records to Motown but then, uh, one of the, the the best that we found, and and it seemed to be the basis or the influence for so much of the different types of music. When we watched uh, the documentary on the black church, and we saw that through that church, how so much of this music developed uh, for a lot of people, because music for members uh, or congregants of the the Black Church, music became not only a form of communication, uh, but it was also a means of solidarity. And and, uh, it it was interesting to see that message within the context of music in the Black Church. And yet, many times when I've done interviews uh, for this particular podcast, I've spoken to a number of notable jazz artists who have said they found a lot of their roots and inspiration in church music.
1: Mm -hmm. That's the truth, and I mean, that speaks to, it speaks to the continued uh, importance of the church as an institution uh, for many African Americans in particular, and the fact of the matter is that regardless of the the type of music, whether it's jazz or R&B or hip-hop, you know, usually or often, uh, musicians get their earliest music experience in the church. You know, that's where a lot of musicians going way back um, had their introduction to music, had their first opportunities to perform, uh, where people were able to kind of hone their skills, you know, maybe before they started focusing on jazz or whichever other tradition. And, and, and then you, you actually hear the influence of the music of the church in, in whatever music they go on to make. Uh, one example, a contemporary jazz musician I can think of, is someone like Robert Glasper. You know, the way he plays piano um, is very much influenced by gospel piano playing. You know, even though he's applying those techniques to, you know, a type of jazz that is kind of fused with hip-hop, um, you know, again, you can hear the resonance of the church influence in his music and the music of a lot of other musicians in, in, who are his peers and people who are older than him.
0: You know, and it's interesting uh, just how incredible the, the Black music is from the church. Uh, I I remember even as a kid, uh, you know, I grew up in a uh, urban setting. Uh, My family didn't have much money, etc. A lot of our families lived in the projects, which was filled with a lot of African-American people. And right across the street from that, I can recall uh, as a youngster, Uh, being just absolutely fascinated by the music that was coming out of the church to the point where I would stand out on the street and listening to the music during the summer when they had the windows open. And it was just amazing. And they'd have two to three hour service sessions that incorporated or included all this music. And it was just so cool to like, wow, how come we don't have this in our church?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well and and you probably saw when you watched the uh the Black Church documentary on PBS that you know one of the things about the music of the church of the Black Church specifically is that it has had an appeal and an impact that goes far beyond whatever impact it has on say an individual congregation or denomination right there's there's a uh, as much as it has a religious significance the music also has just a musical appeal that kind of transcends uh, the, the religious boundaries for a lot of people, and if, and the cultural boundaries.
0: Well, the mission of your museum is to educate the world, preserve the legacy, celebrate the central role of African Americans as they play in creating the American soundtrack. Mm-hmm. What a great mission statement that is.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's that's what we um, that's one of the the stories we try to tell. I mean, in in telling the story of African American music. We're also uh, telling a very important part of the story of American culture. You know, we talk about the American soundtrack there. Uh, something we want the visitor to come away with is this understanding that at the root of what makes what makes us American, or what gives an American identity, is is this African American uh, contribution, right? And so, you know, whether it's listening to rock music, listening to R and B, listening to hip hop. The music that that is the soundtrack of people's lives today in this country, uh, most of that music is rooted in some way or another in the story we tell in this museum, in in the development of black culture in this country.
0: So when you're in the museum itself, which is 56,000 square feet, uh, that's a pretty large uh, facility. Mm -hmm. What part of that or how much of that is devoted to the actual history of African American music?
1: Uh, really, I'd say the entire the entire facility. Really, I mean, when you walk into the museum, uh, you enter into the lobby uh, where we have we have an exhibition. We have four display cases that kind of have rotating displays of new acquisitions, and then and then within that lobby space, we have you know markings on the floor that kind of tie into our Rivers of Rhythm gallery, the river theme, which which is in the gallery space and also continues out into the lobby. Comes from the Langston Hughes poem "The Negro Speaks of Rivers," and and we wanted to kind of emphasize the the ways that these musical traditions kind of are branches off of a common stream of of you know cultural experience, right? Um, from the lobby, you enter into what we call the Roots Theater, which is a 194 seat theater where we show a 15 minute introductory film that kind of gives a very broad overview of the history of black music from its origins in Africa to the present. And then you walk out of that theater into our central space, which is called the Rivers of Rhythm Corridor, right? So that space is both, um, you know, somewhere where you can explore our interactive timeline of African-American music. It's also a space that we uh, we can repurpose the walls to project immersive concert films on the walls. And so we have a rotating schedule every 30 minutes Of short films of uh, musicians in performance that are projected kind of larger than life on the walls. Including, we have Prince at the 2007 Super Bowl, we have James Brown performing in 1964 in California, and we have this amazing young blues guitarist uh, named Christone Kingfish Ingram performing live at a juke joint in Mississippi called the Club Ebony. And so, you know, so that's our first space that you walk into after you see the film. Then you walk into. Wade in the Water, or you, you, that would be if you're going in order. Walk into Wade in the Water, which is the history of Black religious music. You could proceed through that gallery into Crossroads, which is the history of the blues. Then continue into Love Supreme, which is the history of jazz. Then One Nation Under a Groove, the history of R&B. And then finally The Message, which is the history of hip hop. So really, every inch of the space is devoted to telling the story uh, in some way or another. Uh, and part of that honestly is because even with 56,000 square feet uh, it's hard to it's hard to tell the whole story (laughs) because there's just there's just so much music you know and inevitably uh, you have to make hard decisions about um, how to interpret that history so that you you get as much information across as possible
0: so unlike uh, many other museums that have singular or one individual curator you have a series of uh, curators was that by design and intent so that uh, each of you as curator could focus on a certain genre of uh, the Black music?
1: Well, it's really, it's really just in the sense that developing a museum is always a collaborative process. And so our full-time staff here includes myself, the curator, um, also Dr. Dina Bennett, who's our curatorial director. And so she also, the two of us, have collaborated on most of the day-to-day work in building the museum. In addition to the two of us, you, we had a, a very large team of scholars uh, coming from institutions all over the country. Who, to your point, are experts in various genres of black music, right? So we had, you know, we had we had an expert hip hop scholar consult. We had expert jazz scholars consult, expert scholars on the history of R and B. And then, kind of leading that group, we had our senior scholar, who is Dr. Portia Maltby who's a uh, professor emeritus at the University of Indiana, you know, a very important and influential figure in the field of African-American music research. So it was really a team effort, and it was a very large team of experts who collaborated uh, to put the museum together, right? Because it's, it's so much information, uh, it, you, you benefit from having the input of that many people to get it right.
0: What do you feel is the, the most significant or the most important aspect of the museum? that would maybe lead to a takeaway for someone that visits this facility?
1: I think the, the, probably the most significant thing is the, the diversity of the music that we include as part of the permanent exhibition, right? I think someone will leave, I would hope someone would leave with a, a greater appreciation for the diversity and variety of African-American music and the fact that um, all these different types of music share uh, common features and a common history and a common origin. Um, so again, you know, because we're able to have all these different musical traditions in the same space, we're able to make that point in a way that, um, you know, exhibitions have not been able to do in the past, you know, because we're able to give a comprehensive overview.
0: In addition to the exhibitions that you have in uh, permanent or are they, I don't know, are they ever changing or are they permanent exhibitions?
1: So the, we have again we have our temporary exhibit gallery, but we would have a, a rotating series of exhibits. The permanent exhibition is permanent in the sense that it will always be there, um, but we do refresh the or we will will be refreshing the exhibition regularly by putting new artifacts in the cases and things like that. So the exhibition itself will be the same. Uh, the items on display will change over the course of you know every couple of years. There will be something new on display. So, you know, when you come back, if you come back maybe a year or two after your first visit, you'll probably see something new.
0: And and that's great. And plus, uh, besides having uh, the exhibitions, you also have a number of programs that are educational in nature, entertaining in nature and so forth. Do you want to tell us about a couple of those?
1: Sure, sure. So two of our most popular um, are Music Legends and Heroes, which is actually a collaboration between our museum and the high schools here in the community, which is where we actually bring musicians um, into school music programs and kind of have them lead master classes for the music students. Um, another program we have is called Sips and Stanzas, which is, is more of a, uh, for, for, <clears throat> for adult professionals, you know, people who work here in the Nashville community, um, sort of a, a, an event where people can both mingle and network with other people Uh, here in the community. And then also, uh, we have kind of informative uh, panel discussions on various topics related to African American music. Um, And often we have performances with those as well. Um, So we might have one on, you know, uh, recent music videos, and we might have another one on Afrobeat, and we might have another one on jazz history, you know, so it's really an eclectic mix of topics that we feature in the Sips and Stanzas program. Um, so those are two, those are our two most popular. We also have thing, we have one program called from nothing to something, which is for younger children, uh, where we show them how to build instruments out of like um, items you have at home, things like cigar box guitars, uh, things like banjos made out of uh, cans from pickle jars and things like that, just to kind of not only give them a fun craft to to make, but also to kind of teach the lesson that throughout black history, uh, musicians have kind of constructed instruments out of materials they had on hand.
0: Well, it sounds absolutely uh, wonderful and, and very, very uh, fascinating. So as you go through the museum, you're going to see all types of music portrayed and on exhibit there, as well as the programs. Uh, you also have an emerging artist series as well?
1: Yes, we do. So we, we give emerging artists here in the Nashville community um, opportunities to perform at our programs, um now that we have our own museum space open um, we have performance spaces in the museum um, you know we have performances in the lobby the theater can be repurposed as a performance space in the evenings you know after the you know during the day the film will run but in the evening we can host performances there and so you know we we've had that program running since long before the museum building was completed um, you know, Because especially in a city like Nashville, you have this amazing wealth of, of emerging talent. And so it's been important for a long time that we do what we can to foster the development of, of the young musicians here.
0: One of the great things, or I think that is a great testament to you and the museum, is that if people can come out of that facility going, wow, I never knew that, or the blues did this or jazz mm-hmm. did that, or is that a goal?
1: It is. I mean, and, and I'd say that it, it's, that is something that we already see. You know, we've been open for about a month now, open to the public. And one of the most gratifying things for me, when I when I kind of, you know, watch the the visitors engage with the, the exhibits and when I watch them kind of coming out of the museum at the end of their visit, I've heard a lot of people say, I really had no idea about any of this. They'll say, this is all new to me. And it's very exciting because it, it reinforces that idea that uh, this is a story that most people have not heard, and this is information that is new to most people. Uh, so I think it's, it's so important that we're able to, to hopefully draw some attention to, you know, these aspects of music history that are undertaught, taught you know, and musicians who are maybe not celebrated as much as they should be. You know, I think that's especially important as it relates to jazz because, you know, there are so many incredible musicians in jazz history uh, who have had such small audiences, you know, for a variety of reasons. And so, yeah, that that for me is one of the most uh, satisfying parts of having opened this museum is the reality that we are uh, showing people something new and people are leaving with a new appreciation for the music they already love. Well,
0: and it's part of your mission to educate. Uh,
1: exactly, exactly.
0: And, and that's what it's all about, uh, To to learn more about blues and religious music and jazz and hip hop and so forth <laughs> and appreciate it more because when you know the backstory then it gives you an even easier or better way to embrace it and and fall in love with it
1: right right it helps you appreciate it in a new way I think that's that's always been my experience
0: one other question about the uh, the museum is: Is there one particular item or exhibit that is the crown jewel of the museum?
1: Oh man, it would you know it would be hard to say. I mean, as the curator, I really am not able to play favorites because every item has uh, every item has a really interesting story behind it. You know, um, I can tell you about one of my favorite artifacts, which is in the Love Supreme Gallery, where we talk about jazz history. Um, so we have a trombone that was donated to the museum by a woman named Helen Jones Woods. Helen Jones Woods was an original member of a, a group called the International Sweethearts of Rhythm. Um, so the International Sweethearts of Rhythm, were an all, they were the first all-woman integrated jazz band. And they became very famous and influential in the mid-1940s uh, because they toured the country supporting the war effort uh, in partnership with the USO. And so, so she was this wonderful musician who was an original member of that group, um, later went on to briefly be in the, uh, the Omaha Symphony Orchestra. Um, and then her daughter, uh, Kathy Hughes, is, is a very important uh, uh, pioneer in broadcasting, is the founder of, of um, Urban One uh, Network. So there's a radio and TV that, that she has founded. And so, so, yeah, it's great to be able to tell the story of Helen Jones Woods, tell the story of women in jazz, and have such a cool artifact of hers because we have her trombone on display.
0: How can people learn more about visiting the museum, seeing it, or what it's all about?
1: Yeah, so I would encourage everybody who's interested in the museum to visit our website, uh, nmaam.org. And on the website, you can learn more about our museum. You can also purchase a membership. I'd encourage everybody to purchase a membership to the museum as well. Um, You know, there are all kinds of benefits that come with membership uh, in addition to supporting the work we're doing here in the community.
0: I truly appreciate, Stephen, the opportunity to uh, spend this time with you. And I I frankly, at this point, after hearing what you had to say about it and reading uh, and seeing online what is available at the National Museum of African American Music, that I am so ready for a visit and can hardly wait.
1: Wonderful. Well, just let us know when you're in town and uh, we'll, we'll roll out the red carpet.
0: <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. But uh, more importantly, I, I'm sure anyone that goes to the museum will truly walk away with it saying, I'm so glad I did this when I went to Nashville.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you. And we certainly hope so.
0: I, I, I thank you again for your time today. You are a truly uh, wonderful spokesperson for this uh, wonderful museum.
1: Well, thank you for, again, thank you for the invitation. It was a great conversation. And it's it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's great to be able to talk about uh, what we're working on here.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of All That's Jazz, featuring Dr. Stephen Lewis with the National Museum of African American Music we'd like to thank ben sedrin for the use of
1: mr p's shuffle as our theme song
0: and join us next week for a reunion and conversation with jazz vocalist composer and arranger hannah bayardi if you like today's episode please leave us a five-star rating on the streaming service you use all that's jazz is available on every major streaming app including podbean apple podcast and spotify as well as facebook
1: and online at allthatsjazz.net.